Welcome to the Lead with Empathy podcast. I am your host, Holly Logan, and here we are going to have meaningful and hopefully some fun conversations about motherhood, parenthood, illness, disease, physical and mental wellness, nutrition, and beyond. And as the title implies, we lead here with empathy. With that said, let's dive into the episode. Welcome back to Lead with Empathy. Today, I'm excited to bring you an interview with someone I met through Instagram, but found out we actually grew up within 10 miles of one another. Sarah Poulin is a nutrition and fitness coach. As she put it, she is a mentor, which we'll get into, helping women build a lifestyle to fit fitness freely, as you'll see in her bio. But beyond that, I just find her approach to fitness and nutrition practical with a focus on sustainable life changes. Don't be intimidated by her physique. This lady has been working on this for 10 years, and she's been practicing what she preaches for a long time, and she helps women gain confidence and strength in all areas of their lives, wherever they're starting on their wellness journey. I think you'll find Sarah really articulate and calm in the way she speaks. And I think that just stems not just from her education, but her passion. She just speaks really well and she understands women. And I'm really just excited to bring her to my audience today because I think you're going to enjoy her just as much as I do. And I hope maybe she will come back in the future and we can expand on some of these topics. Sarah has her bachelor's in food science and human nutrition, 10 plus years of personal experience in the fitness industry, four plus years personal training in many settings and four plus years as a small business owner. So let's welcome Sarah to Lead with Empathy. Sarah, thanks for joining me today. We connected a long time ago and I'm excited to share the audience with you today. We've chatted through Instagram. We've definitely had topics we could go on and on about. So we'll share all of that because it's all meaningful, important topics about our health. So take a moment to introduce yourself, who you are, what you do, and anything you'd like to Yeah. So first, thank you so much, Holly, for having me here. I'm really excited to chat with you and chat with your audience. I'm excited to discuss some of the things that we have planned. I feel like we both could probably chat forever in regards to some of these topics. We both share, I think, a lot of the same like perspectives and views around health and nutrition. So I'm excited to be here. So the question, who am I? I feel like that's like daunting (laughs) when you like think of it as a whole, but I'm the owner and coach behind my small business, Fit Fitness Really LLC. That has been my career for the past four and a half years now. I've worked with a lot of women from all over the country and even a few outside of the country, which is kind of a cool thing to say. But my role and my goal is to educate and I like to say quote unquote coach because I align more with the term like mentor. I don't really like the word coach because when I think of coach, I think of like sports teams. So they're there to like dictate the rules and follow X plan and the whole team does the same thing. Versus a mentor is there to help guide and find new avenues and support and provide empathy. So really, I like to be seen more as a mentor than a coach. And I think really in a market that is extremely saturated, like fitness and nutrition coaching, my goal is to help you and guide you within your health and fitness journey. And it should only fit you. So really getting to know you as an individual, what makes you tick, what are you struggling with? And most importantly, like, how do we make it feel free again? That's an awesome introduction. I love that. And then that's what I love about your content too, that you're really empathetic, I think, towards women of wherever they are in life, whether they're single or kids, multiple kids, wherever it is. So I did want to ask, you just completed this year a nutritional certificate, I believe. Can you talk about it? Because it seems geared into functional nutrition therapy, which I feel like is a really hot topic, right? now. And I've seen some of your content change this year, not in a bad way. Just I feel like the way you talk about women's nutrition and lab work has shifted. And then I assume that reflects a lot of that education. Yeah. So I kind of have a lot to add to this. So first, like in the intro, I have a four-year degree in nutrition. 
And when I started my business and like working one-on-one with individuals, a lot of it was actually based around like mindset with health and fitness, which is probably a lot of the content that you originally saw from me. And it's still something I greatly focus on with my clients. And I believe it is a huge foundation, not just for your health-related goals, but anything in general. You need to have the strong foundation mentally. But a lot of my business also stemmed from my own personal struggles and health and fitness. And we can discuss that a little bit later, but As I gained more experience, like coaching with more people, I had to start doing a lot more personal research as more complicated things would come up. And something I learned as I coached more was the impact of our lifestyle, our environment, our habits, our practices, and how that was really impacting our health and the ability to drive progress ultimately. So as I started working with more people, I would start asking more questions regarding these variables. And I think so many think that it's just macros or just calories or just this diet or that diet, but really we need to gain a better understanding of these foundational principles and what signals are we sending to the body. So again, looking at habits, environment, mindset, nutrition, training, and how is our body responding to that ultimately? So like that could be in a positive manner or a negative manner towards our desired state. And I think so many people, so many women specifically are like really quick to blame their body for the lack of progress or genetics or their slow metabolism. But really we need to like zoom out and understand and that these basic variables impact our health and progress. And we need to really be looking at the body as a whole system and not separate things. So like just nutrition or just training. So while like nutrition and training are a huge part of those signals that we send to the body, we need to be looking at these other variables in assessing biofeedback. So like what is our body telling us based on what we are sending? So the course that I took was with the individual named Sam Miller. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Sam Miller Science is his Instagram page. He's pretty well known in the fitness and nutrition industry. But his course I took was called Functional Nutrition and Metabolism Specialization. So it was like a four-month course, very in-depth with just learning more about the body as a whole and learning more how to navigate, you know, supporting specific cases. So, you know, people with hypothyroid or with PCOS. And like my job isn't to treat or diagnose that, but how can I support that from like a lifestyle focus? But really like this course really helped me gain new perspectives in how the body perceives these variables and how to support these practices in using more of like a holistic integrative approach with clients. So again, looking at things like sleep, energy, hunger, digestion, stress, nutritional habits, lifestyle environment, like what's our dieting history like? What are the current practices we do? So are we vegan? Do we do CrossFit? Are we very sedentary? And again, like all of this gives us insight and biofeedback and how the body is functioning. And it's like, I'm sure you feel the same way. Our degrees are awesome. We probably learned a lot. Like you have your degree in nutrition, but it's a very blanket. You know, it's the same in nursing. We learn like, make sure your clients are sleeping and eating good and exercising. What does that mean? Like that is that you have to go a deeper level. And that's why I was interested in what you took for a course, because I think it does go deeper. And I think that's what people are looking at now. Um, So you touched on this, but I want to go back to your childhood a little bit because you, were you always active and striving for health or did your passions here derive from your own struggles with your health? 
Yeah. So I was always active. I didn't really play in sports, though. I actually danced for 17 years from five years old all the way through college. I actually even have a minor in dance as well. I just haven't really used it. I actually thought I was going to go to school for dance at one point. I started my first year like undecided. But then my passion kind of changed when I went to college and wasn't dancing how I used to. And then that's where I really fell in love with weightlifting. And then I was like, man, I want to learn more about nutrition. So then I declared my degree in nutrition. So that's kind of where I guess my passion with like health and fitness stemmed from. But I would say like in regards to like my actual business, that came from my passion for health. And a lot of it was derived from like my own personal struggles and wanting to help other or guide other women who fell into these similar patterns. Because I realized like it wasn't only me who was really like struggling with the ways that I viewed food and nutrition or fitness or myself. And the name like Fitness Freely was essentially derived from like my own progressions through this journey and like finding freedom again in like the wellness and fitness space and making it fit me. And, you know, prior to that, so this was in 2019. That's when I started my business. That's when I was like, I want to help women like feel the way that I feel now with nutrition and fitness. And, you know, before that I did, I struggled a lot with the relationship I had with myself and like self-worth and confidence. And part of it was probably just coming out of college. Like, what am I going to do with my life? My relationship with nutrition and fitness was like working against me. It started becoming more destructive. And I think so many people fall into that pattern where nutrition and fitness is no longer adding to their health. It's like ultimately taking away and becoming more of a resentful process. And, you know, it wasn't until I did a lot more inner work and like personal development, I was able to break free from a lot of these destructive thoughts and patterns. That's awesome. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes that I've still heard recently is we are most qualified to be the person that we used to be. I'm assuming that when you're caring for a lot of these women, it's like, I don't want you to be the person I used to be. I want you to feel how I feel now about food. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so many women are in that space also where like it just it doesn't feel good anymore. It just becomes more about hating themselves and like doing it because they hate themselves. And it's like, no, what if we can get you to a space where we're doing it because we love our body and we love feeling good and striving for health. So like, it's really just such a different mindset that I think so many women don't know is is possible. And I want to be, you know, the advocate to get them there. Well, that's great. That's awesome. So shifting to topics we've chatted about, what are a couple of the biggest mistakes you see women make specifically when trying to achieve their health goals? Like choose three, because I know there are so many aspects to health that are and they're all intertwined. But what's hurting our hormones? I feel like hormones is another hot topic, but our metabolism and everything we should be fueling. What do you think are the the kind of big three? Yeah, so there's a lot I could put here. That's why I was like, you know, I I get it. You could go real deep here, but you know. Yeah, we could probably have a whole podcast about this. Oh yeah, we could. And we could do a part two, but like in terms of just, you know, what are the big three? What to you are like, these are the things that that need to be addressed. Yeah, so number one, I'm going to say is always dieting. We've been taught to eat less and do more. And like, that's the equation, right? And I think that's been so ingrained in our brains that we think that is the only way that we're supposed to approach nutrition and fitness. And I'm not saying it's not a part of it because it is a part of it if you do have these fat loss goals. But we need to understand that you simply cannot live in a deficit. And most people aren't even in a space to like appropriately and efficiently like do that. Most people don't even know what am I actually currently eating? Like they aren't really doing any like self analysis really other than like 
I don't like where I currently am, so I'm just going to restrict myself. To add on to that, because I think when people hear like, oh my gosh, if I don't diet, what do I do? I want to kind of like better elaborate that to people because I think it is something that when they hear I need to eat more, it's like, are you sure? (laughs) Yeah, but just real quick, I think one thing about tracking your food that I learned in my Nutrition 101 when I was in school was when you really have to force yourself to track your food, you start to see like, wow, it maybe it's calories or whatever, but you're also like, wow, I'm consuming a lot of sodium. Like I'm consuming a lot of Mm. trans fat or wow, I'm way under eating protein. Like it's not just about calories. I think when you start to track, you just become more mindful of, wow, Holly, like you really, you're you're consuming a lot of processed food. Like it's just being mindful. Yeah. And I mean, side note off of this in regards to tracking, so many people use it to force themselves in this very restrictive protocol, right? But in reality, it should be used more as a tool to learn like what you're doing. And if you need to make adjustments, use it as a tool to learn what adjustments do I need to make? And instead people are like, oh my gosh, I didn't hit my macros. I'm failing. And it's like, are you failing or are you just using it in the wrong mentality? Most of us need to just do some self-reflection and be like, oh, okay, I'm way under on protein. Like why? What? Do, what's high in protein? What do I need to do to increase that? But back to like the dieting thing, typically like when we're dieting, there's really two things that are going to happen. So either A, you're pushing yourself so far to the point that you end up lacking adherence at some point. So then you start binge eating or you give up on the habits that you were doing. And then, yes, you're going to gain the weight back because of that. Or B, maybe you're someone who's like extremely disciplined and has been forcing yourself into like this deficit for a long time. There's going to be some adaptation that occurs. And this is why it makes it harder and harder to lose weight if you keep forcing yourself into that equation of eat less and do more. Obviously, at some point, if you were to keep doing that, you would starve yourself to death, right? Like you would die, but more than likely, because we're human, you would end up back at point A. You would lock the adherence at some point. And I think a lot of people think that metabolism is a fixed thing. And really, it's extremely malleable. And that's why, like, we're still here today as humans. Like, if we didn't have this very adaptive, malleable metabolic rate that picked up on a lot of these signals that we're sending it, we simply would not be alive today. And it's extremely responsive, you know, to the perceptions of energy intake, the amount that we're expending, the stressors we face, the environment that we live in, like that is all impacting that metabolic rate. I know people that like, I only eat 1800 calories and they've done that for, I don't know, five, 10 years. Like they've tracked forever. And in my head, I go, the body's really smart. Like it's going to adapt Mm -hmm. to them, right? So if you ate 2,200 calories, like in a good way, you know, through protein, not just like, oh, I'm going to eat 17 brownies. But if you you eat 2,200 calories consistently for a while, and then you drop down back to, say, 1,800, now you're in a deficit. But you haven't been in a deficit for 10 years. And I'm not, again, I'm not a nutrition and fitness expert by any means, but I just kind of know my body really well. And I think it's really interesting when women think that like, oh, I can stay at this number for X amount of time and that's going to help me to lose weight when really that's not how the body works. As you said, the body's really smart. Yeah. And so diet's number one. What's number mm-hmm. two? So number two, I'm going to say is the basics. So what I mean by this is not really necessarily related to like calories you consume or the macros or the workouts you do. But I'm talking about the stuff that's going to support like how your body's going to respond to those variables. So to give like a really good analogy, and you can probably relate to this. I don't have kids, but I want to compare it to like the practices and habits that we provide kids. So, for example, they spend time outside. They have recess at school. They go outside. They have breaks and nap time. 
They have time to do crafts and projects and hobbies. If they misbehave, we put them in timeout. We give them routines with their sleep schedules. And for some reason, when we go from childhood to adulthood, all of these things get thrown out the window. And I mean, I think a lot of it is the lifestyle that we live quickly works against a lot of these variables, but we really need to be practicing like these basic things to support how our body is going to respond. You know, everyone wants to lose fat. Everyone wants to gain muscle, but they're sleeping poorly. They're not giving it the right resources to do so. They're stressed out. All of these things are working against your efforts, but people are so quick to just look at diet and nutrition and training and not really look at what are the other factors that are going to impact how my body responds ultimately. Yeah, and that's exactly one of the reasons I actually transitioned away from just wanting to do pediatrics because people would come in and be like, well, my kid doesn't eat vegetables. And I'd be like, well, do you eat vegetables? And the parents would kind of look at me and I don't mean that as a net. I'm not trying to sass parents or anything. I meant it more as well. You establish and you want these routines for food, for sleep, like you're saying for your kids, you want them to have creative time and outdoor time and you want them to play and do all that, but then you don't do those same things for yourself. It's right. Well, really, we need to look at ourselves. I'm I'm very guilty of it when it comes to like, oh, my kids need to do certain things and I'm not. I, I'm totally guilty of it too, but I love that you said that because it, it doesn't matter where you are in, in life. If you think about like when you were a kid, yeah, you gave 30 minutes of just play or yeah. and like how important our sleep routine is. And yet we stay up until like 10 o'clock scrolling on social media and we would never like right. do that, right? So- yeah. Yeah. It is funny how how that changes so much, but, you know, it needs to be a focus. And I think it's not about it being perfect either. You know, I don't want people to think like, oh, my gosh, like it needs to be perfect every single day. But, you know, we need to take into consideration these practices because they're just going to support how our body functions overall. Awesome. So that's number two. What's number three? Yes. Yeah, so the third one, not necessarily related to like metabolism or hormones, but I'm going to say like doing it all at once. I like to also call it like the all or nothing mentality. We probably all have been there a time or two. Like I know I have, but when it comes to like our health and our weight loss, we usually start from a space of being very emotional. We don't like where we are. We don't like how we look, how we feel. So then we do these irrational things and just decide to try to do it all at once. And really like when we are approaching this process, I like to view it more as like a development journey and accumulating like these skills and habits as we go. So think of it as like a video game where you complete level one, you gain those skills to do so, then you move to level two, et cetera, et cetera. But people like to go from level one to level 20. Yeah. And obviously you haven't developed to really get there and also like create the identities to identify as that person who is at level 20. So you end up burning out the moment you miss something, you decide that you're good enough and you just throw your hands up, right? You get sick and you stop exercising and eating well. And then it's like, well, I'm just not going to work anymore at this because why bother? Because I'm just going to get sick versus like building those foundations and just doing sustainable changes. One thing. Yeah. Yeah. And really like what I tell a lot of my clients is like a lot of these things have to become like your normal. So like think about all the things that are your normal right now. It's going to take time to develop the new normal that you become, but it is possible. You know, like I think about before I started weightlifting and stuff, the normal wasn't going to the gym or eating all kinds of protein or going to bed at 10 o'clock every night. But like over the years, it's developed so much that it's just like, that's that's literally who I am. Like (laughs) there's no other version. Like I don't like to stay up late. I don't like to, you know, not have prep food with me all the time and stuff. 
Yeah, but you develop and you learn those skills and you have to because when you have other challenges in your life, like I have three kids. So when postpartum comes around and different things, if I didn't set some of the foundations, then when I've had a child and I'm not sleeping as well because I'm up a lot, that's a normal chapter of my life. But some of the other foundations I can still have control over. But I'm not going to get up at 5.30 to exercise when I only got four hours of sleep. It doesn't make sense and I can't beat myself up about it. But there are other things you can do, like getting up and hydrating and looking at the sun. And there are little things that you can do. And kind of going off of that, I also think about like when people try to remove things from their diet. Years ago, I was in middle school, high school. I used to love soda, admittedly. You know, I know some people don't love soda, but I just love the bubbles and the sugar and and I just Mm -hmm. walk around it. And I just decided like I learned about it. I need to take this out of my life. But I'm still going to have a Diet Coke on pizza night. And it was just like, because I did, I enjoyed it. So then it became, okay, I'm not fully taking it out of my life. I still have control, but I'm going to have it just on pizza night when I really enjoy it. And then I don't drink soda anymore. I mean, rarely now I do. But it was like that slow transition that was a good mindset for me versus being like, I'm going to never have soda again. Because I'm kind of setting myself up for failure. Because then if I have a pizza, the soda on pizza night, then I feel a little bit like a failure. Does that make sense? Like, right. Yeah. How do you strike that balance of finding joy in eating and balance and nutrition? Is this something that you need to reflect on or do you consider it a good willpower or just practice? Because I think I remember you telling me you used to have like a bad donut or cereal habit in the past, if I remember right. And I think we've talked about how we all have our vices and it's important to strike that balance of like joy in eating, joy in food and nourishing ourselves. Like I wasn't nourishing myself by drinking soda every day. Yeah. So I think the first part of this creating balance is you need to create a healthy relationship with ultimately. So this means like we're not labeling foods, we're not restricting and depriving foods all the time, but really learning to view foods more as all neutral. And I know nutritionally, like that's not the case. Like, believe me, I understand that. But when you create these more neutral labels, we can allow more balance and flow with our choices without having all the guilt or judgment towards our decisions. So like you said, with the soda thing, like If you just completely restricted it for the rest of your life, eventually you're probably going to have it again. And then you're going to want so much of it because it's like, I've created the scarcity with Dota. So like when I get to have it, it's my only chance to have it ultimately. Then I feel guilty about it too. And I don't want it. When you create these more neutral labels, it just lets you like have it and then move on rather than like hanging on to like, oh, should I have had that? I don't know. Now I'm feeling anxious about it. Should I have more? It just spirals into all the second guessing and questioning. But that moves me into like my next point of finding balance is you need to create more of a mind-body connection. This helps us align like our choices with food rather than being more like impulsive or like subconscious habits that maybe we've built or behavioral pattern choices. But when we start to slow down our decision making and check in with our inner world and understand like, the environment we're in, certain foods, certain emotions, how does that make us feel and how does it make us act? We can kind of like slow down that decision making and make choices that ultimately we want. So something that I personally have used for myself and I give my clients is pausing before you decide to have something. So like really checking in and being like, is this aligned to like my desired state? Do I want to feel the way I'm going to feel after consuming this? And that doesn't mean that you always say no to maybe those more indulgent things. Like sometimes it's being like, you know what, I want to enjoy this dinner with my family or I want to get ice cream with my kid. But other times it might be slowing down and being like, you know what, I don't really care to have the store-bought pizza or 
you know, the grocery store cake, maybe if you're at a birthday party, but maybe before it was so subconscious and impulsive where you're like, seafood, eat food. I'm just going to have it because it's there. And then obviously you didn't really want it to begin with. So then you have the shame and the guilt. So if we really create that mind-body connection, it helps us slow down and be more aware of what is really going on in my inner world. What is that narrative saying? No, that's wonderful because I have, like, I seriously, to be honest, I have a whole podcast about like relationships with food. And one thing that I look like I tell people is I have an emotional connection to chocolate peanut butter cake because I always had it for my great grandfather's birthday. And so I make it a lot for my birthday or like my kids' birthdays. What I do now is like I kind of stop and say, Holly, you could probably eat half that cake but you're not going to feel good. Belly's not going to feel, your stomach's not going to feel good. There's an emotional tie to that. And having a slice of cake on your kid's birthday, I would hate to think I can never have a slice of cake on my birthday again or my kids, right? So it's creating a positive relationship with understanding your body and then in your mindset being like, well, you can still find joy in this. We're not going to call this cake bad, but you can enjoy it, but don't eat the whole thing because then you're you're probably, your body's not going to feel good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so one thing also I wanted to transition to real quick is one thing uh, I've been learning a lot about is the food industry. And even from our childhood, they're, how they're targeting us and kind of making us addicted to food. And the soda thing for me was a big thing. I think there's a lot to become educated on of what we're consuming and how it's impacting our guts and our minds and everything. Uh, we've chatted about this and we could go off on a lot of tangents about it. But overall, is that something you discuss too with your clients of like, not just their childhood, but how you look at food too and how you help clients to understand what they're consuming and how we're addicted to it. Yeah. So I guess part of that specifically with clients is just one, educating them more around how is your body feeling after certain foods. And I think so many people, they don't even know, right? Like they eat something and then they're like, feel loaded. Like I feel like crap, but then like they just don't have that connection around, oh, this food is what's impacting me. So I think When I work with my clients, we check in weekly and, you know, they give me a lot of insight as far as like what's going on. It allows them to do this self-reflection process of like, oh, this is where this happened or this is, you know, what impacted me. And a really big one, this isn't related to the food industry, but I mean, kind of, but alcohol. So many of my clients don't see the impact of how, can I swear, shitty alcohol makes them feel. And then once I like open those doors, they're like, I don't even want this anymore. So I think that's a big part of it is just helping them, I guess, create more of that mind-body connection and like understanding how these things impact their body and being able to make those modifications. And I think when people start to eat more wholesome foods or single ingredient foods, it becomes easier to gravitate towards those because they make you feel good, right? It's not because, oh, I'm going to eat the salad because it's healthy. Maybe it's, I want to have the salad because I know it makes me feel good after. And I think that really, one, improves the relationship with food and also, again, like helps you gravitate towards those items that help you feel good, perform good, feel healthy, like all these things that are so important and really what food is supposed to provide us at the end of the day, right? It's amazing. It is amazing. I think about like we want our bodies to feel good and we don't want to deal with like bloating and discomfort and abdominal discomfort all the time. And when women start to really address those little pieces of their diet that aren't serving them and you go, oh, if I take that away and I feel good, it's motivating. Very motivating. 100%. Yeah. Can I share one more thing though? Yeah. As I know, we were talking about like the food industry and how we're learning more about what is in our food and how is that impacting us? I mean, personally, like we have been making a lot of swaps in our household. I know like you guys have been as well, but I think to your audience and like helping them take that and like 
put it into actionable steps, like understand that like the goal isn't to eliminate everything that's bad or toxic. It's just being more aware of like, what are we putting in our body and maybe doing some of our own like personal research um, rather than just trusting these multi-billion dollar industries. I won't like say, because we don't want to go down that path. But I know, I know. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's you're, you're right too, because you can start one thing at a time. I think going back to your, how you mentioned the all or nothing, most people don't have the financial ability to do that either where you mm-hmm. can jump out your pantry and start fresh but it's like what can you start to buy that's different so can you replace your dressings you use a lot can you replace these little things and it doesn't have to be an overhaul in one day most people i think even financially and i don't like to waste food so when we started to do it it was like okay i'm not going to buy this anymore what's a better alternative you know what's made with better oils and stuff like that it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. right yeah it's kind of just looking at like what what do I use on a day-to-day basis? And then like when you run out of that item, like what's a better alternative? We have eliminated a lot of artificial sweeteners, like oils, dyes. Not that we ate a lot of that to begin with, but like cereal was definitely a very common thing that we had. And now it's not. But also just know like I still have those things occasionally and it's okay. You know, it's not like, oh my gosh, I'm eating soybean oil. It's the end of the world. It's like, No, like I don't eat it anymore on a day-to-day basis, but like occasionally, yeah, I'm going to consume it. doesn't mean I'm bad or like everything's going to blow up or anything. When you go somewhere, when we eat French fries, they're going to be in probably Mm. one of the core oils. And you just have to be like, well, I don't do this at home, but every once in a while I'm going to enjoy it. And that's how we enjoy our lives and how we have, again, a good relationship with food. Right. Another side tangent, I guess. So you're trying to gain weight, I believe. And I was wondering if there's a reason for that. If you cycle or follow something throughout the year, do you do it as like a challenge to yourself or as an aesthetic? I love that you'll experiment with your body. We've kind of touched on that too. I love that people will like experiment with themselves and kind of challenge their body because I feel like a lot of women will do that. And and it's not mm-hmm. medical advice. It's just when people are like, you always hear on Instagram, like, you know, always ask your provider before you do this. And I, I don't think there's anything dangerous with like experimenting with different foods and different exercise. So is there a reason behind that? I'm just generally curious. Yeah. So again, like when it comes to nutrition, we have to realize there's going to be phases that you go through to really accomplish a specific goal or outcome or really to optimize your health in general. So we know, like I discussed, you can't constantly try to be in a deficit just for like the longevity of the results and your health there will be a detriment to that. And obviously there's a detriment to overconsuming too. Like really it is balance. Everything in life, everything is in balance. It's not like one spectrum or the other. It's like maybe you have phases where you are more towards one spectrum or the other. So for example, like, yes, right now I am in a surplus. I'm trying to gain weight, but I'm not going to stay there forever indefinitely. Naturally, I like to just eat in maintenance. I know what that looks like for me. It becomes very natural for me. Like I don't even have to log anymore when I even do any of this, whether I'm cutting or in a surplus. I just know food and my body so well that like I know what adjustments to make and I know the biofeedback that I'm getting. And I think so many women don't realize the power of supporting your metabolism and resistance training and how beneficial that is, not just health wise, but what you're going to look like. But again, like we grew up in an industry, you know, the diet industry that's telling us here, lose 30 pounds in 30 days, or you can get six pack abs in, you know, two weeks. And it's like the equation is simple, but it's not that simple. And it's not that clear. (laughs) You know what I mean? Again, I think women are a little worried to experiment maybe a little that with their bodies. Mm -hmm. And also I've said this before, I think on social media, women think they're going to all of a sudden start lifting and get bulky. And it's like, if it was that easy, 
you know, everyone's going to the gym all the time, right? And like my, I mean, my husband would love it if he could just wake up and work out for 20 minutes and build muscle. And I do think there's like a, there's a genetic component. There's all these components to it, but you can experiment with your body a little bit. And we, we should do a follow-up at some point to all like resistance training and, and weight training. Cause that would be a really cool, big topic. Mm. I think a lot of women are, uh, I don't want to say afraid of it because for some, it's not even that. I think it's like, oh, is this going to, uh, car- we've just been programmed that women do cardio, like women do cardio and that's how we lose weight. And that's how we get this very thin, specific aesthetic. And that's just not true. I mean, it's not it's not only that it's not true, but also not everyone's going. Even if I started becoming a marathon runner, which I would never do it, I don't I'm not going to have the same aesthetic as someone else. And that's okay, Right. Even if I trained the same way as you, I'm going to have a very different body aesthetic because of the way I'm shaped and everyone is different and that's okay. And if you became a marathon runner, like your body would obviously change, but you're, you may not look the same either. And I think we just been programmed to think cardio, cardio, cardio. And I just don't live by that mantra. Yeah. I wish more women would. And I think more women are like waking up to realizing the benefits of like resistance training and like hey, if you want to have shape to your body, if you want to feel strong, if you want to have a smooth sailing like aging process, you need to be in the weight room. Um, Part of it too, I think, is just like being nervous going into the gym. Like there's a lot of clients that I work with that are a little bit intimidated, but it doesn't mean that you can't get there. Like I still remember when I first started working out consistently and I couldn't even do like 10 pounds on like the preacher or like bicep curl, which is like a machine for biceps. Is that Planet Fitness in Augusta actually? And I literally couldn't even do like the 10 pounds on it. Like I was very, very small. I danced, you know, I was like 110 pounds. I really don't have the genetics to build muscle. And it's taken me a long time to get where I am. Like I've been doing this for 10, over 10 years now. And sometimes I'm like, this is it. Yeah, this is all I have. Like, and I've worked very hard in it. And yeah, you know, so many women think that, oh my gosh, like I'm just gonna, you know, get bulky and big. You know, like you said, it, it doesn't, happen that quickly and it doesn't happen without being very intentional with it either. Right. If there is someone out there like looking for specific weight loss or body changes, you're going to get a lot more out of a 20, 30 minute weightlifting session than 30, 20 mm-hmm. minutes of just straight running. And I do believe that. And I, especially because you can mix it up and you can do different things with it. I just personally, I'm a big fan of it. I, I always tell people to like, I know you're not going to get maybe exactly what you want from some of these programs out there, but I started to learn how to lift through like Jillian Michaels when I was in college. And I'm not saying that if I did, you know, those workouts for the next 10 years, I'm going to be where I want to be. But it was a great way to learn. Like there are programs out there that people can at least learn how to do like proper squats and do all these movements with like five to 10 pound weights and then change. That's kind of a tangent. I just really like promoting weights because I think it's really important for women to have muscle mass as we get older. We know for men and women, it's so important to build muscle mass because it gets harder as we get older. It's good for our bones to prevent osteoporosis, that we're doing weight-bearing exercise. There are just so many benefits cardiovascular-wise. I mean, this is getting to boring like nursing stuff too, but just overall, I believe in muscle mass. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, the metabolic effects too. You know, like when you look at resistance training to cardiovascular, like you have a lot more metabolic effects, like post resistance training. And like, once you build that muscle, I tell people, it's like, if you want to have a better metabolism, you better be resistance training. Like it's adding to your metabolic rate versus running is really doing a detriment to it. 
in, in well, my yeah, makes sense. Yeah, because I eat and I like when I'm training, when I'm weightlifting, I get to eat more. And I know that sounds like, but I'm also like, I'm, everyone's different. Everyone's body's different. I'm also breastfeeding and all those things. So I have a lot of calories to meet, but it's also like my metabolism goes up and I build muscle. I actually get to eat more. And I know that. Yeah. 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 I mean, you do. You do. Because I mean, through my lifting journey, like I said, I was 110 pounds. I'm like averaging like 144 right now. So I gained, you know, what, 34 pounds. I eat a lot. Like when I tell people, they're like, are you serious? And I'm like, yes, like I'm a hungry person. Okay. Yeah. And I get I to eat that. And like I'm enjoying it as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm going off of that too, because someone I had asked um, my audience to say, do you have any questions for Sarah? Someone had asked about your competition days and your experience. So I know, I remember seeing your content years ago about when you were, doing competitions. I think you were in Texas, maybe. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what was that experience like for you? Because honestly, it's nothing I've had particular interest in. I have a friend who also does competitive weightlifting and I always love to watch her do it because it's incredible, like how much this woman can deadlift and squat. But you also did Mm -hmm. did physique, I think. And I've always been intrigued by it more because of the discipline. Like, I think it's really incredible the discipline that people have when it comes to not just their training, but their nutrition. Can you just talk about what you learned from competing? Yeah. Yeah. So I've competed in four shows. Um, My last season was three of those shows, which was almost three years ago. And I competed in the bikini category. So when you do bodybuilding shows, there are different categories based on the level of muscle that you have on your frame. And then there's also different like poses that you have to do to show off the physique that you have. When I first started competing, I was actually back in 2015. And that's kind of where I fell in love with the bodybuilding scene and like kind of just became a lifestyle. Like I lived like that lifestyle of kind of the the bodybuilder would, but I don't necessarily do it to compete. I just really like the aspects of the day-to-day routine, I guess. And honestly, how it makes me feel. (laughs) You know, I feel really good. I feel really strong. Obviously, I'm not dieting right now. So like, that's a huge part of it. But as far as things that it taught me, I mean, first, competing is an extremely huge investment in all aspects, mentally, emotionally, physically, financially. It will take a toll on your relationships. You know, you really have to be in it for the right reasons. And, you know, something that it really taught me is like, even at like your best, leanest look where you're getting all the attention and people are like, oh my gosh, you're competing. You look so good. You have to realize that you can't do this to love your body or fix your body. And I think so many people go into it wanting to find that because they see so many people doing it now. Like it is such a common thing to, oh, I wait lift. I'm going to compete now. But they see like how happy and how glamorous and how much attention these people get that they're like, oh, if I do this, I'm going to get that. I'm going to find that self-love. But the truth is you can't do it to find that because you're just going to feel worse. You're going to end up probably with a lot of distorted views and relationship with fitness and food and yourself. Competing is an extreme phase that you put your body through. And like I said, all aspects and it's going to fade away, but it doesn't mean that like the love or the confidence that you have regarding your body should change. And I think when I first competed, I can remember going to like watching my first show and just being like, oh my gosh, they look so good. They're having so much fun. And I want to do that. Like part of it is I come from a dance background. So like being on stage was just like, you know, I love, I love doing that. Well, you're, you were used to that in a way and you like, right, right. Just obviously competing, you're naked, tanned and mudfully. 
But yeah, I think, you know, it really taught me going into like the last season I did, you know, that was more of a mental thing for me to compete again when I did my last season. It wasn't like when I initially did it to like, ooh, this is going to make me confident and worthy kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yes, I never would have thought of that. But I guess you're right. Like if you were looking at it from I'm going to compete because when I get to that end point, I'm going to be a whole new woman or a whole new person. And yeah, really like that dopamine that you get as you're progressing there. And people who say when they get to that final point and it was the dopamine all along that their brains loved, like the progress and the training and whatever people think that it's the end point that it's going to change their lives. And it's not. It's those little disciplined things, whether it comes food, nutrition, whatever, and exercise, whatever it is. Those are the pieces that are important. Yeah. I mean, as you're saying that, like, it's very relatable to people just trying to lose weight in general, like not competing. They want to, uh, you know, feel really good at the end goal. Like they're doing it because, oh my gosh, when I reach X, I'm going to love myself. I'm going to feel confident. I guess it's the same thing. I didn't even think of it that way until you said that. But like, that's the same approach that people do typically in like their journeys. And obviously when you get there, If you don't find that self-worth and confidence and like accepting where you are now, you will get to the end and then it's still not going to be enough. Mm -hmm. You're still going to want more. And that's like anything in life. It can translate over to like financial situations, right? Or like business growth. I mean, thinking about my business, I remember when I first started, I was like, I have no idea what it's going to be and I don't care. As I grew, it was like, oh, now I want to do this. Now I want to hit this. Now I want this many clients. Now I want this income goal. And it's like, Okay, at some point, like I have to accept where I am and love it because again, it's more about the process and like who you become rather than like who you are at the end. Well, goals are important. Like I think it's important to say, you know, you that you set goals for yourself, but also understanding that if you're looking at um, fitness and nutrition as a uh, sustainable thing, which I'm very big on too. Again, if you have specific goals, that's great. But when you look at it from a sustainable, if you say, oh, I'm going to be happy when I'm 130 pounds. Well, all along the way, what are you doing to sustain that? Maybe 130 Mm -hmm. is an ideal number. I think everyone does. I know what my ideal weight and number and size is for myself, and I'm not ashamed of that. But I don't have in my head when I achieve that again, I'm going to be happy. No, what's going to give me the joy in my life is the fact that I'm recognizing as I'm improving what I'm eating and exercising that I feel better. And I think that is what we need to like attach ourselves to is not just the number, but the joy in in getting to whatever that goal is. So, yeah. I do have one other thing to add like to the competing thing because I think it will also help people with just like their general goals that they have. But obviously the mental strength was like a huge component that it gave me. Like I didn't realize how strong you had to be mentally to do this. Part of it was the physical aspect, but it was more the mental aspect and being able to delay that need for gratification like more than I ever have in my life. The amount of times I had to fight like, I really want to eat something. Wow. Like I really don't want to get off the couch. I'm so exhausted. I literally can't even go up these stairs right now. And like you have to delay it for weeks, months until you get to the stage and you finally like, like I did it, you know, and I think we as humans gravitate towards wanting to be gratified immediately in everything, like not just nutrition and fitness related, but it really helps you learn to like overcome, I guess, those mental battles in regards to like, you know, that gratification of wanting to do something, but being like, you know what, if I overcome this, I'm going to come out stronger. 
and I'm going to be closer to like that goal that I have set for myself. That's awesome. I think of it almost like that's what we need, that strength, that mental strength they needed in the military. You know, they have to overcome Mm. challenges and civilians, we don't always have to overcome those challenges, those mental challenges. But that's what I've always uh, enjoyed watching with people like yourself. It's the mental game, not the physical game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One last question, well, two, but one was another person in my audience, and I think this is really interesting, asked about navigating foods based on where you are in your menstrual cycle. And I've heard different thoughts, changing both based off your cycle or just doing what's best for you. I personally have not done enough research into like this seat cycling thing, but I that's a thing. I too try to lean into more sweet potatoes and different sweets rather than just chocolate, which I crave during my cycle. And I do crave more red meat. And I personally don't have an issue lifting during my cycle. Most of the time, you know, I, I read my body. And if I say like, I don't have the power to do this and I'd rather do like less weights, more reps, like I just lean into that. But what's your doctrine? Or do you have ideas that you follow based on a woman? Is it just based off like how they feel? Or do you have a specific doctrine about that? Yeah. So I'm very much on board with what you said. I don't have a bunch of in-depth research I've done. I know about seat cycling as well. But I think what people need to do is actually just take a step back from like maybe all this information that's out there, because honestly, I think it's more overwhelming than anything. And actually learn your menstrual cycle for one. And you also need to learn like the basics. So like Are you eating really well? Are you sleeping well? Do you have sleep management? Are you moving your body? Because it's like, hey, if you don't have those things in play and maybe you do have issues with your menstrual cycle, you should probably look at those variables first before you're like, okay, week one through two, I eat this and I do this. Week three through four, I do this and this. And like most women don't even really know their menstrual cycle. They don't understand like the ebbs and flows of how they're feeling. So I think doing more of that like self reflection and learning like you fix all the foundational things you may not have to do anything different right like you right you eat well you manage your your stress you do all those foundational things then you don't have to well you need to know your cycle but you don't you learn more about your body but you may not need to adjust based off if everything else is set in place right is that your kind of thing yeah yeah i agree like i know for myself personally like i do notice some changes and i think you know, that's typically in the luteal phase, right? Like that's usually where most women are going to experience your PMS, your irritability, emotional instability, whatever it is. And I think the important thing for your audience is recognizing like if it's really interfering with your life as far as your menstrual cycle and the symptoms, that needs to be addressed maybe a little bit further, maybe with, you know, someone who's an expert in that field or getting like more help regarding that because maybe there is something bigger going on. But again, like if you don't have those basics in play, if you don't understand like, hey, you know, during this period, I'm a little bit more fatigued. It doesn't mean I need to drop everything, but maybe it means I just deload a little bit in my training, pull back on the volume. Maybe it does mean I do yoga this day. Personally, like this is my opinion. And I think you agree, like you don't need to follow this super regimented, like direct protocol structure. Like I think there's so many basic variables to support your menstrual cycle that people should focus on first rather than just trying to find this new flashy solution. Yeah, I think that becomes a barrier too, because if you're um, a busy person, like I use myself as an example, like busy mom of three, and you're telling me I need to eat and exercise doing certain things at certain times of my cycle, that's mm-hmm. what actually stop me from actually just moving forward and doing, making steps, right? So if you're telling me I can only do X amount of exercise during X amount of times or whatever it is, it's actually kind of making me stress out about it versus just being like, read your body, listen to your body, 
what does it need? What what is it responding to? You know, does it feel good when you eat a pound of chocolate? Maybe not. You know, it, it versus like leaning into these other foods. What makes you feel good and what doesn't make you feel good? That's how I feel about it too. I was yeah. Yep. I agree. One hundred percent. The last thing I want to ask you, is there a next thing for your business? Because I'm just curious if there's a next thing for you, if there's something you're focusing on. Do you have new passions or goals in the next like five, 10 years? I'm just really curious. Yeah. So, I mean, when I started my business, I wanted to serve and help as many women as possible. Like I can remember writing down in a journal, like however many years ago, like I want to empower women. And I still have a vision of growing that impact. And I'm kind of pondering like the direction that I want to take with it. I've had a lot of different ideas and thoughts. And like I have worked a little bit on group courses and stuff that I would like to launch someday. But right now, like I really love having my small business. I love having the close relationships that I do with my clients. But I think someday I would like to expand more and hire like another coach or professional to be able to make, you know, a larger impact with the direction that I'm going with my business in regards to like more functional nutrition and such. Oh, awesome. That was just my last question. I just like to see how people grow. Yeah. And I've seen you grow and change in a good way. You know, it's just fun for me. So thank you again, Sarah, for being here. And I want you to give you a second to pimp yourself out too. What is your Instagram handle for anyone who wants to find you? Yeah. So my Instagram is at Sarah Fit Fitness. I also have a private Facebook group. If you just search Fit Fitness Freely on Facebook, you can join that. And then I have a website as well, fitfitnessfreely.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. Thanks, Holly. Thank you for listening in today. And I hope you'll be back. Stay curious, stay humble, and always lead with empathy. Please also take a moment to share this episode with someone, this podcast, write a review or comment on my latest Instagram post at hollylogan underscore help. Thank you. Have an awesome day.